The Hard Yards, brought to you by Sports Joe. Hello and welcome to A Hard Yards Extra. I'm Andy McGeady. Make sure to check out Monday's regular episode of the show if you missed it and subscribe to The Hard Yards on iTunes, SoundCloud and all good podcast apps to get it straight to your phone. Today, I was joined in studio by Gavin Hastings of Scotland and the Lions and we had a little chat. We're roaring. I am delighted to be joined in studio today by Scotland and Lions legend, Gavin Hastings. How are you? Well, I'm fine. I'm not sure I'm a legend, though. No? Nah. What would you say you are? Uh, former rugby player. Former rugby player. Yeah. That's pretty good, though. Yeah, you, that's all right. Yeah. Not like, a legend, though. No? Nah, legends. I would differ. Okay, so he captained the British and Irish Lions, um, played an awful lot of games for Scotland, scored an awful lot of points for Scotland, fairly well known. It qualifies a lot of legend boxes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I was being modest. <laughs> um, I, you are the uh, you you were the top point scorer for the Lions until a certain Mr. Wilkinson came along. No, I'm actually still the points uh, top point scorer for the Lions. Are you? I, I I am genuinely. Go but, on. Um, <laughs> Go on. <laughs> no, no. There's. Uh, you know, there was one game that uh, our Johnny played that was out with a tour, um, and it seems to have been included in the Test match records. So that's where his sixty-seven to sixty-six comes Correct. from. Right. Well, yeah. uh, you know, I would argue that that playing six Test matches on the tour is um, that's where the, the record should start. And and if you play a match before the tour starts, then that is a, another Test match. But I don't think necessarily it should be included in in Lions records. That's anyway. good because I because I had um, your 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 try as a four pointer and his was a five pointer and that was the difference. But yours is much better. It's okay. I'm <laughs> over it now. I just thought I'd mention it though. Yeah. Um, Scotland are in town this weekend. Uh, you had a very good record against Ireland as a player. Well, we've paid the price for that ever since. And, uh, you know, our record in the Six Nations has not been uh, quite so good. Um, Victories few and far between. But, um, you know, I think there's uh, a bit of optimism coming into Saturday's game and and quite looking forward to it, as indeed most Scots supporters always do when they come to to Ireland. And, uh, you know, there's a great camaraderie, I think, between two sets of supporters and uh, friendships go back an awful long way. And I think by common consent, most of the Irish like the Scots coming into town and uh, we spend our fair bit of cash in the bars and... uh, um, have the odd pint of the black stuff, which is pretty good. This is true. I, I will say that not all the Irish men like the Scots coming into town because you all come in in kilts, and no <laughs> Irishman can compete for the attention of ladies when there's kilts around. I tell you that much. Uh, well, you're saying that, but um, you know, it, it is a it is a national trait that that I think Scottish rugby supporters like putting the kilt on and like coming into town and like. Um, you know, singing and, and, and having a good a good time in the build-up to the game. As I say, you know, many occasions in the last sort of 16, 17 years or so, um, we've not been able to enjoy ourselves quite as much after the game because of the result. But uh, nonetheless, it is, uh, it's always something that we, we enjoy coming to Ireland, as I say, and, and enjoying the camaraderie that I think exists between two sets of supporters. So Scotland beating France and England back to back—that's pretty, uh, pretty good. Well, it was certainly good after a bit of a, a humbling defeat in, in Cardiff a few weeks ago. So um, you know we've at least got a tail up a bit, and uh, 
you know, we, we, we can come to uh, to Dublin for Saturday with a bit of optimism and confidence. And, uh, you know, I think Gregor Townsend, the Scotland coach, will have a few tricks up his sleeve. Whether that's good enough to beat Ireland, we, we can't tell at this stage. But uh, I think Joe Schmidt is a very astute and competent coach. And uh, I have no doubt that... Uh, the task that lies ahead for the Scottish team is is greater than the one that that faced them, you know, a few weeks ago, and certainly running into France and England. I think we've really got to try and get on to another level. Um, were we to be or should we be um, victorious at the weekend? Gregor played thirteen the last time you played against Ireland. Did you think back then that he'd go grow up to be national coach? Well, Gregor's is a highly intelligent man. He's a very ambitious man. I think, uh, you know, when he was given an opportunity by Andy Robinson, the then Scotland coach, to come in to the setup upon his sort of retirement from international rugby, I think it was fairly obvious uh, at that stage that Gregor was going to be the Scotland coach at, at, at one time. Um, I think what he's been able to do and you know, is is just take the the team on to another level, and he did that first with Glasgow a few years ago when he took over from Sean Laline, and now he's done this in a very short space of time since taking over from uh, Vern Cotter at the end of last year's Six Nations. So, you know, he's uh, he's got the players certainly believing in themselves and uh, and you know playing an exciting brand of rugby that's really, I guess, epitomised by the fortunes of uh, Finn Russell at standoff. Yeah, he's good to watch when he's on form, isn't he? <laughs> well, you've got a smile on your face there. You do, it yeah. is, because he brings a smile to people's faces, and you're right, he is good to watch when he's on form. Um, you might be inclined to, to hope that uh, he's not going to be in form on Saturday. I would share the opposite view. But I uh, hope he tries everything yeah, on Saturday. Well, I think he will try everything, and he, he pretty much did that a fortnight ago yeah. against England and uh, you know I, I was saying earlier that he's quite a contrast to Johnny Sexton at standoff who plays the game you know as a consummate professional and, and his will to win is there for all to see it's in his expression and the way that he he, he is you know very much a modern day rugby player I, I think and, and epitomises the Irish spirit but he's a very competent player Johnny Sexton I think he's moulded into a become one of the, the, the great controlling fly halves and uh, and that's I, I, I find this an interesting um, contrast between the respective fly halves and, and for Saturday and uh, one that I think will be a very interesting battle hmm. Gregor Townsend's doing this despite there are still only being two professional sides in Scotland. Yeah. Um, you're, you played your entire career in the amateur game. And are you surprised that all these years later we're, we've got two professional sides supporting essentially the Scottish well, test setup? Am I surprised? Um, possibly not. Uh, it's not ideal. And, and no one, I think, is suggesting that it is ideal. Um, the fact is that we do have a number of players in the Scotland setup that are applying the trade outside of Scotland, which you you have to say would would have to happen. Um, but nonetheless, Glasgow and Edinburgh supply the bulk of of the the the, the, the 
the squad, if you like, and and uh, you know that's important that that's the case, and and in many respects, perhaps the uh, we don't have the intense rivalries. I think that 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 maybe the Irish provincial sides do, in particular Leinster and Munster, but. Uh, you know, there's no doubt that, that Irish rugby and international rugby has become very, very strong over the last 10 years or so because of the strength of the Irish provincial sides and, and doing so well in Europe. And, uh, you know, Glasgow have managed to win the Pro 12 as it was a couple of years ago. And I think that, uh, you know, they've only made the, the quarterfinals of, of um, the Champions Cup on one occasion. I think Edinburgh have done it on two occasions. And uh, it's not easy to build success when you're not involved at the business end, I, I think, of of, uh, of major club club games. So, you know, we're... Do you, do you think Scotland could actually support a third team, be it Borders support, or... Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it would be in Scotland. Okay. I think through London Scottish, it, it would be, for me, the most obvious place for that to to be and if somehow London Scottish could play in the Pro 14 um, then that would be great um, but, we're, but that's, we're a welcoming parish Aye, yeah. well I, I think it would make a lot of sense and, and uh, you know, um, who knows what might happen in the future but uh, I think it would be obvious for, for London Scottish to become the third professional setup um, pushing players into the Scottish national side hmm. Um so as I said, you um, you played as an amateur. You were a surveyor. I was that chartered. Was, that was your bread chartered, and no less. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really interesting. You know, you look back and and clearly, you know, in the heady days of amateurism, we all thought that we were doing quite well and and you know training pretty hard. And and when you remember that you were working on the Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday of international weekends I mean it's just bonkers to think that now so and, what was your routine thing. you worked your full days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday probably st- tried to squeeze as much into those three as possible and then well I wouldn't necessarily go as far as that I mean uh, it might not be concentration levels as as, as deep um, as, as other weeks in the year but I remember being pretty potty in the training I mean we would train we would play the previous Saturday more often than not train with the Scotland team on the Sunday go back to work on the Monday probably do a light session Monday go training with your club side on the Tuesday and then you know, maybe have Wednesday off and come together. Certainly in the early days on the uh, on the Thursday morning and train for about three and a half hours on the Thursday. I mean, just bonkers, and then go and have a light run on the on the Friday, and that's when you would travel to. Oh, you travel to away games on the Thursday, and uh, just great excitement being away and and travelling in a chartered plane maybe in those days and staying in a nice hotel and stuffing yourself with nice food. You know, I mean, just bears no relation to what the players do just now. Would you have liked to be a full professional? No. No? Why? Um, I, I think anyone of my um, era, if you like, that, that we we sort of morphed into you know, we were lucky, we went away every, every summer um, to you know, a foreign country, and, and you know, I went at least every second or th- second year, at least if not every year, to you know, World Cups in in uh, in New Zealand, in South Africa. We toured with Scotland to to New Zealand, to Australia, um, you know, Canada and the USA, and so basically, most summers you were playing rugby, and that was your taste of being a full time rugby player 
clearly not a professional because you weren't getting paid for it. But that was enough for me. I enjoyed training over a period of weeks and practicing your kicking. And, and I always felt I did pretty well on tour because, you know, you weren't being distracted by anyone necessarily from work and, and uh, you were away from home and, and uh, so you were there just on this you know adventure with all your, your mates from from the Scotland team or the Lions team and, and I loved it I just absolutely loved it but uh, you know you came home you'd go on holiday and you'd go and have a f- few weeks off and, and whatever else and then you'd eventually get back to training but uh, no, I wouldn't want to be a full time pro Okay, so you would not have liked to be a professional. Were you paid as an amateur? No. Because John Beattie had a great line in The Scotsman in 1993 when he said that the taxman frightened frightened him by how much he knew about his little £50 receipts and those those little payments every so often. Did, well, like, I ne- I, uh, no, I'll be honest and, and frank. I never, ever, ever got paid to... Um, to, to, to play rugby, never mm. ever and um, you know back in the day you, you claimed expenses and whatever else, now clear you probably fiddled your, your expenses a wee bit and, and whatever but there's a world of difference between claiming an extra 50 quid and being paid mm. however much the England rugby players I are think being paid th- This so, is what John Beattie was know, getting at yeah. yeah but I mean you know I have no qualms I mean nobody would, would write a cheque or, or you know put money in your account as a result of, of playing for your country or for the Alliance. So, you know, that's I'm quite uh, I, I'm clear in that that I never received any payment for playing. In fact, the next year you were talking about the inevitability of professionalism, and there's a, a nice line that you had at the time was that saying some countries are driving articulated lorries through the regulations. Yeah. So at the time you were not being paid. You might have got a little extra expenses every so often, but it was not pay for play. Oh, no. What were you seeing outside your country? Well, I think. Uh, Ah, you used to hear sort of stories and the fact, I mean, obviously back in the day, I mean, Will Carling never really had a job. David Campisi never had a job for, for um, you know, for his whole career in, in many respects. So, look, it's not, it wasn't a major issue for me because, you know, we we had jobs and we were being paid for for those jobs. So none of us went into rugby because we wanted or expected to get paid because it was obviously very much an amateur game but but clearly with the advent of Rugby World Cup in 1987 and seeing that that was a pretty much a Mickey Mouse tournament um you know without any of the real commercial or hospitality um, sponsors and, and engagements that would be mm. going the on. The commercial now. machine that accompanies yeah, it. Yeah, and, and Rugby World Cup is just huge now. And, mm. and you know, the Lions was, was tiny by comparison to what it is now. So, you know, we were just on this great big adventure. And, and it became fairly apparent, I think, by the time of the World Cup in 1995 in South Africa, the third Rugby World Cup, that, that the thing was there and, and professional rugby was going to uh, exist pretty quickly thereafter as so it proved I mean it became professional within three months of the Rugby World Cup ending Mm. and that was the end of your career as well correct yeah Um, so I said you did have a good record against Ireland I looked up uh, some players have got better records having played ten times there's not many right one of them's your brother Uh so you you played with Scott for a long time first test and last test together Uh, what was it like playing with your brother it was good um 
you know, I think we had a sort of, um, Scott's one of three brothers that I have. I've got an older brother, and then there's me, Scott, and the youngest brother as well. My older brother sort of blazed the trail a wee bit and played for Scotland schoolboys and Scotland under 21, and then he went off to Australia. So we had a bit of that, and then I went off and played for the schoolboys and under 21s, and Scott followed me, and then the youngest brother was pretty... Uh, you know, he he had a tough act to follow, being the fourth uh, line uh, of of boys, and uh, you know, but he played rugby for fun and enjoyed himself. But um, you know, playing with Scott, we we always got on very well. We were two years apart in school, and then I played rugby for my my former pupil side, Watsonians, and Scott went down to Newcastle. Uh, Polly, as it was in those days, and played down f- for Northern Rugby Club. And then I went down south, played for London Scottish as well as Cambridge, and Scott finished his degree and came up and played. So really, before we um, we played together at, at, at for Scotland in 1986, um, we hardly played any games w- together, you know? And it was pretty strange um, then making our debuts and imagine how our parents must have felt you know huge sense of uh, of worth and value I'd suggest when the, the two of their four sons are playing together for the first time for Scotland and you know they were great supporters of ours and following us all over the world with the Lions and with Scotland and as indeed my other brothers did as well so you know it was it was always good fun and we just we treated it as such hmm. um, Your son's playing he's playing for Glasgow Adam He's getting on well. He's doing all right, yeah. Yeah. A um, bit more game time would be nice for him, but uh, he's getting there. And uh, There's a few lads you know, we'll ahead see. of him in the queue. One, one less come this summer. Well, one less come this summer. And, you know, I think his challenge is to prove to uh, Dave Rennie and the rest of the coaches at Glasgow that he's capable of, of filling his shoes. And, uh, you know, I think he's maybe... If he gets an opportunity between now and the end of the season, hopefully he'll he'll be able to convince him that yes, he is. But um, you well, know, well, his half um, partner George Horn's been drafted in, so young yeah. players are getting recognised. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's good to 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 see. I think Gregor's never been afraid of of bringing the youngsters in and you know if they were in New Zealand they'd get a shot and if they're probably in Ireland you know there's a lot of the Irish guys that are coming through as well so you know professional sport is about young people it's not about old people it's about young people and there's always going to be another youngster coming through and that's what it's in you know if you're brave enough and give them a shot then it's not often I don't think they let you down so uh, they have huge energy huge enthusiasm no little talent and uh, you know that's all good uh, cases getting a a good blend between youth and experience I think is is a healthy recipe Um, Speaking of New Zealand is it true you're called Paddy in New Zealand? (laughs) It is you're going to ask me why? Yeah Why? Yeah Uh, Okay good good story fun story but in 1987 I stayed on after the Rugby World Cup and it was the week after the Rugby World Cup final and um, I joined a, a team called Auckland University and four of the World Cup winning All Blacks were, were playing for that team. So, so hold on, you, you just stayed around? I stayed around, that's right. what you did in the amateur days, right? Yeah. So I actually had a job that I was starting in London in the January of 1988 and this was July 1987 so I was staying on in New Zealand purposely, I'd left my job and went off to 
New Zealand with Scotland and I was hanging around afterwards. Um, great New Zealand friends I had. So I eventually plumped for this team, Auckland University, um, where, who were a club side, nothing necessarily to do. You didn't have to be a student or anything at the university. So I played and my first game was a week after the Rugby World Cup final. And uh, Grant Fox was still celebrating the All Blacks victory. So I played fullback and the previous fullback had broken his leg about two weeks earlier. Um, so it was a natural opportunity for me. So I was taking the kicks. There was a guy called Hank. And Hank was from America. And he didn't really understand the geography of, of uh, Great Britain and Ireland. And so he said, Jeez, Gavin. You're bloody hopeless after I miss my uh, my tenth kick or something like that. Away home to Scotland, Paddy, he called me. And as a result of this, he shouted from the touchlines. And as a result of this, I um, I was called Paddy. So every time I see Sean Fitzpatrick, he calls me Paddy. And a few of the other guys, how are you doing, Paddy? And uh, I think it's quite a nice story. Harmless. Mark, mark of respect. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and a more serious point, on a, on a personal note, um, so I share something with you. My my great aunt um, died a few years ago, and she had Parkinson's. Battled it for years, and she's someone I thought of when I heard that I was going to be interviewing you, because I'd read before that you are touched by this in your family too. Do you mind talking about that? Not at all. Um, yeah, my wife has had Parkinson's since uh, two thousand and three. She's a wonderful lady. She's very courageous. She's very upbeat the whole time. And, uh, you know, we got to the stage uh, a couple of years ago that life was getting a bit tough. And, um, you know, we undertook this uh, amazing operation called deep brain stimulation. Um, and uh, it essentially involves a couple of electrodes going into either side of the brain and fed through some wires and with a battery pack that was placed just in her above her left breast under the skin and this sends little pulses into into the brain and it sort of tricks the brain a wee bit into thinking she doesn't have Parkinson's and as a result the drugs that have been massively reduced that she has to to take and, and all the side effects the nasty side effects that you get with the drugs as a consequence have been massively reduced so her health is very much better than it has been a couple of years ago and uh, she's doing really well and, and she's a great source of inspiration to many people including myself and uh, you know we contrast that with, with Dodie Weir mm. Dodie Weir's mm. as many people here in Ireland will know has been uh, diagnosed with motor neuron disease and there is no cure for motor neuron use van der Vesse's and had it and, and died a number of years ago and uh, you know Dodie has touched the, the, the world of rugby and, and uh, you know I'm sure people in Ireland um, are as saddened to hear about Dodie's situation so notwithstanding my wife's situation um, there are always people that are worse off and, and one of these people sadly is, is Doddy Weir so Doddy's going great guns um, there's a thing called Doddy's Gump um, G-U-M-P so if people want to go on the website and look out for Doddy's Gump it's all about supporting Doddy just raising some money and some awareness for motor neuron and uh, you know my wife's doing pretty well after her surgery so there's plenty more money going into Parkinson's than there is to uh, motor neuron so it was a nice lead in there I'm glad to hear that there is progress being made um, sincerely um, before we let you go make a call for the weekend well I want uh, Scotland to, to not be out of it I, I'd like them to be competitive I'd like them to be in the running with 15-20 minutes to go and if they are I think we can cause Ireland a few problems 
There's no disgrace to losing to Ireland. There will be no disgrace to losing to Ireland for they're a very, very strong side. But I would love for Scotland to just step up from where they were a fortnight ago, a bit like after they played the All Blacks in in the the Autumn Test and then they played Australia the following week and really put Australia to the sword. And, uh, you know, no one's suggesting in Scotland they're not capable of putting Ireland to the sword. But if we can give them a very good game and we're in the running, then we'll have a chance. That's what I would um, like to see. And you're uh, partly responsible, I believe, for Paddy Cullen's being renamed the Flower of Scotland this weekend are you? Well I'm not sure I'm responsible but delighted that uh, there's a pub there that uh, is certainly going to be I think a source of um, enjoyment and and, uh, you know bonhomie between uh, the the Irish and the Scots supporters and you know Guinness are right behind that and looking forward to uh, having a few pints of the black stuff myself Excellent. Kevin Hastings thank you very much. Thank you. (laughs) 